This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, what's up? Kevin Jones, founder of Blue Wire. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Do me a favor, send it to one of your friends. We're growing this network, grassroots style. It takes everyone. You're a part of our team if you send this to one of your friends. All right, enjoy this podcast and appreciate your support. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox Podcast. My name is Dan Favalli, coming at you with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, bucks in six forever and ever and ever co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. The NBA playoffs are about to start, so we are going to dive into that, um, maybe also talk about just the mass exodus of coaches and and front office staff uh, that the NBA underwent in its one day without games so far since the end of the regular season. Before we do, I just want to continue reminding everyone to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. We would really appreciate it if we keep seeing those numbers go up. Uh, We love seeing when you leave written reviews as well. Please keep going. Bring those numbers up. It is the best way to let us know that you are out there. Um, Andy and I are always looking. It means a lot when people take the 10 to 15 seconds out of their day and search Hardwood Knox on iTunes and do all those good things. Subscribe, leave the rating, write a review. If you've done all those things, refer us. Steal people's phones and subscribe subscribe them to us. Subscribe uh, to us for them, and they will thank you later. We can, as always, also be found wherever else you consume your podcast with that out of the way we ask andy how are you doing i'm doing good i'm i'm ready for the playoffs to start like you were saying uh before we started recording it seems like people get a little bit antsy before we uh actually jump into the playoff game so i'm i'm ready for them to to tip off i was gonna say kick off but i'm uh trying to avoid mixed metaphors this morning um in the one day that the NBA had without games, <laughs> though, there was just so much going on with coaches and front office members. Um, the Cavs yeah. uh, and Larry Drew mutually agreed to part ways. It's like the in Avengers Endgame when Thor says it was a mutual breakup, um, and it actually wasn't. He was dumped by Natalie Portman's character. I can't remember her name right now. Jane. There you go. Um, that wasn't so much surprising. Um I would say the Grizzlies getting rid of J.B. Bickerstaff and then just sort of overhauling their entire front office, not necessarily on a whim, but after they let said after they let Chris Wallace, their general manager, um, give all these quotes to the media, uh, 
the Phoenix Suns naming James Jones um, the permanent face of their front office was. I, I don't know if it was surprising, but you have to wonder if you know how extensive was their search for that. The the Kings fired Dave Yeager and pretty much everyone that works for them, um, including their media relations guy, uh, has Vlade tries to, and I'm quoting uh, both Shams and Woj here, uh, consolidate his power. Um, they also got, he, they, he also got rid of Brandon Williams. It was just, it was chaotic and I think surprising. And when you look at the, the people who lost their jobs, with the exception of maybe Larry Drew, it's it's almost kind of, I mean, funny seems mean in this situation. I would not have expected all this to happen and then Luke Walton to still have a job just yeah. a few days ago. Yeah. Um, oh, and Jim Boylan, three-year extension with the Bulls. Can't forget about that. Shout yeah, all kinds Boylan. of coaching and front office news. Uh, maybe Magic was just sort of the first domino a couple of days ago. And that certainly helped Luke Walton survive. The Jaeger thing was weird, but it seems like there's been constant tension between him and Vladi Divac pretty much this whole season. And Carmichael Dave, um, big part of King's Twitter, actually just like a day or two was saying, brace yourself, kind of. It he I don't think Jaeger's gonna be back. Um, so it seems like there was there was obviously some kind of a philosophical divide there because just on the merits of what Sacramento did this season, that that's a move that didn't make much sense. Um they they really were <laughs> There, there was a moment there for, I don't know, maybe even a month where it felt like they might make the playoffs. Um, they have a lot to be excited about, and I think this throws a little bit of a wrench in there. The J.B. Bickerstaff one, I don't, I don't feel like there was as much rumbling there, but that, that seemed like a move that was just sort of necessary. I don't, I don't feel like he really helped Memphis at all over the last couple of years. Um, who, who am I missing? Jim Boylan is interesting. <laughs> we we we've had a couple. <laughs> we've had a couple episodes this season where uh, we really went in on Jim Boylan. I I think most people probably know that I'm not a fan of that particular coaching style. Um, maybe it works with some guys. It seems like Zach Levine has come around to him a little bit, um, and now I guess he'll get a chance to prove it over the next few years. So. Yeah, lots of lots of crazy stuff over the last couple of days. I guess the thing with the Grizzlies that was most crazy is not just the fact that Bickerstaff was fired, but all of the surrounding <laughs> moves that were made, reassigning guys to these lower positions. Um, and like you said, after they had already done some media availability. So that was that was certainly odd. Um, but yeah, what a what a day or two of shakeups around the league. Yeah, the in so, uh, Boylan talk about just a complete 180 from where the Bulls are almost uh, staging a mutiny against him. Yeah. He gets a three-year extension, yeah. and it seems like some of the guys actually enjoy playing for him. That'll be something interesting to watch. And to give him the extension now, that the offseason was was less than 24 hours old when it happened for the Bulls. Uh, the Grizzlies one was, I don't think Bickerstaff uh, helped them necessarily, but he also wasn't holding them back, and this seems like it would have been, it's probably part and parcel of just overhauling the front office. Otherwise, it seems like a move you would have made if the next guy was out there that you thought could take your team to the next level, a la, you know, getting rid of Jason Kidd to go after Mike Buttonholzer, but the the Grizzlies aren't at 
that type of point in their development. I don't know if you saw those quotes from Mike Conley where he just basically said that he doesn't think he's going to win a championship yeah. with this group. I'm, I'm sick of making noise. I, I was going to bring that up too. Um, the Conley comments in that, I think it was in the athletic. And then he tweeted after all the shakeups and just said no words. Um, gone, gone. <laughs> yeah. They, they've got to, <laughs> they got to move him. Yeah. And so it's the, the front office seems like it, something needed to happen there for a while. It's just, I want to know what, what was the last straw then? Because I, it was it just they tried to stick with the Gasol, Conley, core, go after the playoffs for too long. It seemed like owner Robert Perra was on board with that, but it, it never seemed like – and I don't even know how much of how much of this lies with the front office. Was this just the mandate from Perra where, no, we're going to ride out this you know Conley, Gasol, and then dating back to Zebo uh, and, and Tony Allen era, and, and there just wasn't that wiggle room to rebuild sooner? Because we've – not we, but most have just been calling for Memphis to to do something different for a few years now. And so I, I always, even though there weren't the rumblings, I don't think it ever felt like the front office was was stable. But again, to have it happen, I want to know what was the trigger point at like uh, just for them to do this because I, are they trying to make the playoffs um, next year still? Is that what this is going to be angled at? Or do they just view this as a chance that they're fully resetting everything? I don't. Their their view more than anything is really interesting to me, and and for the Kings, I'm I'm obviously inclined to side with Jaeger because it's like you never got the the sense that he was completely safe there. But the Kings obliterated their win over under. De'Aaron yep. Fox is uh, turned into a star under him. Um, I know. I guess Vlade wasn't happy with some of the some of his rotations and how he used youngsters, but Marvin Bagley looked really good this year. Um, and Vlade before the season, and I think at one point during the season, was talking about Bagley playing small forward. And it just makes me feel like he's sort of out of touch with the, with some of those basketball views and approaches. That being said, we do have to remember that Jaeger uh, got the Grizzlies job and left the Grizzlies under these weird circumstances. There could have Yeah, been- he's had some interesting um He's had some interesting things along the way, for sure. There could have been a real power struggle behind the scenes. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with catering to the big picture. There's actually more, I I think, if the Kings read too much into this season and they spent a ton in free agency and they just fancied themselves automatic quasi-contenders because of what they did this year, that's a bigger danger than, hey, you know what? This coach isn't right for the vision we're trying to install and we're still rebuilding, so we're going to replace him. But the fact that it's the Kings and that the last time they fired a coach of mid-progress um, was Mike Malone, and that looked 10 times worse because he seemed to have found some type of a middle ground, some type of a productive ground with DeMarcus Cousins, IT, those guys. And then Cousins gets sick for like, I don't know, like 36 hours or something, and they just fire him. So because it's the Kings, I think it's fair to doubt uh, th- that decision. But he was he, he wasn't on like... I guess maybe everyone thought because the Kings played so well this year that he might keep his job in spite of all the drama that was going on there. But he was almost on Luke Walton's level to the point where you never got the sense that uh, he he was entirely safe. It was just more so bizarre that um, Divox. I don't. I want to know what Jaeger was doing. Um, that Divox, who hired Jaeger, I believe, um, needed to consolidate his power by doing this. In addition to to everything else. Yeah, um, it's just going to be really interesting to watch how either of these teams proceed with this summer. I think Memphis is, to me, this signal this signals 
that they're finally ready to start over entirely. I guess we'll see this summer how true that is. And then, yeah, I think it, I think it was just sort of a power struggle, internal tension, like I was saying earlier with the Sacramento Kings. Um, and, and yeah, there, there is an interesting history with Dave Yeager. Um, so it'll be, uh, it'll be an interesting summer for those teams. My last question on this, Luke Walton, which team is he coaching next year? <laughs> I'm going to say the Lakers. I'm kind of with you there. It, at least for the first bit of the season. I wouldn't be surprised if, if they're not like really good for the first couple months if they push him out. It could be it could be sort of like a David Blatt situation. Not not that they're similar coaching styles or anything like that, but just in terms of timing of his exit. He was a midseason uh, casualty, wasn't he? Who's that? David Blatt when he was uh, yeah. with Ron in Cleveland. He sure was. So... And I'm I'm interested to see whether Dave Yeager gets another job before next season. I, he seems like a natural candidate in Cleveland. I don't know. Um, There's always been not buzz be a candidate in Memphis. And, <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. There's always been buzz with him in uh, Minnesota because I think that's where he's from. But they just they're trying to move forward with Ryan Saunders, who's a really young coach. Um, so I think it might be out there for a while too. It's uh, he's had an interesting career. For Wherever sure. he goes, it does seem like there's just some stuff going on. Right? Yeah. I, I thought it was interesting when in Memphis, um, that was his first head coaching gig in the NBA. And didn't he and like stage a coup to get him? Yeah, I was going to say, like his very first job within a couple years, he's having like, yeah, staging a coup, a power struggle. And I remember thinking at the time, like, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> um, shout out to him for going for it, I guess. Uh but yeah, there's there there is an interesting history with him for sure. We now move on to the playoffs. Um, I'm excited for them to start. You're excited for them to start. Going to be a busy weekend. We're we're gonna we're gonna fire off our predictions here. Um, I'm gonna choose the first series because I'm I'm gonna be rude like that. I say we just start with what I think is the only uh, foregone conclusion in the Western Conference of a series, and that's Golden State and the Clippers. I do not think that the Clippers have a reasonable chance of pushing this thing to, to six games. I do think they're the type of team that might make the Warriors feel uh, a first-round matchup, which isn't necessarily ideal for the Warriors then. They just, you know, it's it's incredible. And I don't think we say this enough. They start two rookies and then Zubac. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's absolutely nuts. Um, I'm wondering if... You know, the things to sort of look for, like the seasons that Gallo and Williams have had, the Warriors are going to be able to potentially neutralize both of them. And we'll shake Gilgis Alexander. He's been shooting the ball really well of late. He's looked more comfortable on pull-ups. Will he really step up and maybe have a big game that helps them steal a victory? That's really just what I'm looking for um, in this series. And it's nothing that the Clippers can do that even nods to their big picture because we know they're going to be insanely active in, in free agency, but I, I want to see how much free reign Gilgis Alexander is going to get. Um, what is, what does Gallo and the Williams look like against the Warriors half court defense in the playoff? How does Montrez Harrell hold up? Um, I'm assuming he'll be the big that's on the court when the Warriors go with Draymond Green at the five. I think my ultimate prediction here though, is, is going to be Warriors in, in five still. I, I want to pick four, but I don't trust the Warriors um, I trust them to win the title this season. I don't trust them to just rampage through the West uh, like everyone expects them to. And the thing I'll be watching with them, aside from, one, will Draymond Green 
hit his wide open three pointers because it seems like with the exception of last year, he always steps it up uh, with his three point shooting in the postseason. What what's going to go on with Demarcus Cousins? If there's close games, will he close them? Is he going to get um, fewer minutes uh, where we're seeing him play? You know, maybe twenty instead of twenty five. Uh, do the Warriors think that Kevon Looney is just better for them in the playoffs up front when they don't want to put Draymond Green at the five? Those are just, to, to start, those are just some of the things I'm really watching. Did you see where Danilo Gallinari wound up in the average player rankings thing? Did you see where Danilo Gallinari wound up in my top 50 player rankings thing? Uh, I, I, for shame, I you participated in those. <laughs> I know, I can't remember exactly where he was. Um, and I do know where Daniil Gallinari ended up because I was using that sheet while I was uh, that you have that I was while I was writing. So I will not spoil it for. He was number twenty four. Um, if you sort every player by the average of their ranks in ten catch all metrics, uh, I am higher pulling... than he was when I last checked. So that was a surprise to me. Never mind. Yeah. So I just uh, I just updated it yesterday. Um, so he he moved up like he was he was creeping around uh, top thirty basically all season and he made a little he made a little leap and he's nineteen and you're uh, ranking the top fifty players into the playoffs or heading into the playoffs which uh, matches up with that twenty four league wide that I have he he was ridiculous this season um, I I remember I put him on the uh, honorable mention fourth team in our awards pod I can't remember if you did too. Um, yeah, I think he both made our fourth, our quote unquote fourth team. On yeah. The then Montrez Harrell is 35. Um, Lou Williams wound up 79th, three top 80 players. Um, I, I think they have a, a lot of talent. Uh, they play well together. Uh, they're very scrappy. Patrick Beverly is, is going to make life very difficult at times for Stephen Curry. And I say all that, uh, in in to preface my prediction that the Warriors are going to win in four. <laughs> That's fair. Maybe I have too much I, respect for the Clippers. And what I think doing. Golden State is going to – they're going to wake up, so to speak. I, I think this is one of those legitimate sort of flip-the-switch teams. Um, we talk about it with a lot of teams over the course of the last 10, 15 years or whatever, but I think this is one that legitimately does it. Um, and they're, they're going to look ridiculous in the first round. Um, they're – uh, spoiler alert, I think they're going to play Houston in the second round, and that's going to be a tough series. But I'm I'm pretty sure they're going to breeze through the first one. It wouldn't surprise yeah. me. Um, it would be great if they lost game one, just for the content yeah. after that. It's a little bit of chaos, yeah. That'd be nice. Here's a quick Gallo stat for you before we move on to the next series. Here's every player who has averaged more than 23 points and three assists per 36 minutes while matching Gallo's free throw attempt rate and true shooting percentage. Giannis... Charles Barkley, Adrian Dantley, and Kevin Durant. He has wow. had one hell of a season. Yeah. He's he's a ridiculously um efficient scorer. And I feel like he's been he's been a really money ball type of player for a while now. Uh, the injuries were really unfortunate and I think they kind of took him off a lot of people's radar. But his his ability to get to the line has been a thing since like way back into his Denver days. So he's he's very much a modern basketball player and, like you said, just a ridiculous individual season this year. All right, so we both have Warriors. Mine was in five, though. I think I might just be a little too love drunk with the Clippers. Your, your four prediction seems like the – Warriors in four seems like the level-headed prediction. Which series, which series next? It's your turn. Uh, I already spoiled it. So let's let's go to Rockets, 
jazz. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there's a large swath of jazz fans who probably fainted or collapsed after they heard you say Golden State and Houston in the second round. <laughs> um, did you see anything about the win probabilities that that led to Houston being number four? I did not. <laughs> I mean, this is mind-blowing to me. Um, there was three or four games going on in the final night or maybe the final two nights of the season that that all had to break a certain way for Houston to wind up fourth. And in, in every one of those games, there was like a big lead at one point. Like Sacramento was up huge on Portland. Um, who was Denver playing on that last night? Was it Memphis? That last night was um, a blur because it seemed like too many teams were trying to lose. I know. Okay, so I found it. This guy did the research. Um, Michael Tyler Davis on Twitter, and he was just responding to someone else. But according to Unpredictable, at the lowest point in each game, the odds of uh, Portland beating the Lakers, OKC, the odds of Portland beating the Lakers was 20.6% at at its lowest point. Again, the odds of OKC beating Houston at its lowest point was 2.5%. The odds of Denver beating Minnesota at its lowest point was 1.3%. And the odds of Portland beating Sacramento at its lowest point was 2.8%. And then the odds of all four happening was 0.0001875%, i.e. just under under two in a million. Wow. (laughs) All those things had to happen for Houston to fall to number four. And face Utah in the first round. It was it was a crazy series of of events. I remember just flipping back and forth, and maybe that's why I don't remember specific teams that well. I was just flying back and forth between games that night. Like, what is going on? Um, the Portland one was crazy. The Denver one was crazy. So <laughs> I haven't even gotten into this series yet. It's just insane to me that this even is a series, and it's a tough break for the Jazz because. Over the last month or so, maybe two months, and we've talked about this, the the Rockets have sort of regained their position as the best challenge to the Warriors, at least in the Western Conference. And I I don't think – I just don't think the Jazz can beat them. I think they're going to make it tough. They lost to the Rockets in five last year, and I think Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert are both better than they were last season. Um, and I, I do think not having Ariza to pester Mitchell will help Utah a little bit. Um, but all of these factors that, that would make you think that it's going to be a closer series this year, I think it just makes it maybe a game closer. So I'm, I'm picking Houston in six on that one. They just, they don't have anybody to stop Harden. Um, and, and he's going to be, there's so many stories about Harden falling apart in the playoffs, but this is the first round. So he should still be pretty fresh. And some people may scoff at this, but not having Exum to guard Harden is a is a real thing too, because he he actually made things really difficult for Harden in the, in the second round last year. So there, <laughs> I, I think a good series for Utah, unfortunately, is just going to be getting two wins here. My pick would be um, Houston in six as well. The interesting thing, though, and I know that with all of um, Houston's injuries this season that it's really tough to judge any of the the regular season matchups, but the Jazz have held the Rockets to a, a 99 offensive rating in their four meetings this year. The catch-22 is only one of those meetings came um, after December, So, and the Rockets yeah. have really picked up. They're num- the Rockets themselves are number two 
um, a defensive efficiency since the All-Star break. I meant to – I'm going to have to circle back and ask you this about the previous series, but who are the X factors for 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 this matchup? Um, on Utah, I immediately, when you were talking about Exum, gravitated towards Royce O'Neal because he's going to – Yeah, he's got it. He's, He's got to fill so in much, defensively. Yeah, so so many reps against Harden. Um, and then for Houston, I would probably say P.J. Tucker, right? Just because can he make it uncomfortable um, for Rudy Gobert on the floor at all if they decide to go with him at center? Or are they just going to you know play the matchup and you have Clint Capella, you paid him this money, and you're going to go big against big for the entire series? And, and wherever P.J. Tucker plays, he's just so crucial to – why their defense has improved, both him and Chris Paul. I just, I don't like picking stars as, as X factors. So maybe you could go with Eric Gordon or something if you're looking for another shot creator, but those would be my two X factors for this series. I think O'Neal's a good call because yeah, he's, he's going to have a ton of responsibility trying to slow down Harden for stretches of this series. I'm sure they will do the typical um, thing that NBA teams do when facing a a prolific scorer and throw a bunch of different guys at him. But a lot of that is going to fall on O'Neal. Um, for the Rockets, I would probably go with Capella. I remember, do you remember the buzz during the second round last year? A lot of people were, Clint Capella is better than Rudy Gobert. Um, what? When, I think you, we're, when was that thing? I definitely wasn't <laughs> um, paying attention then. I don't may, know. Maybe I just had too many Rockets fans tweeting at me during that series. Um, it, it was certainly a thing at points. And I, my stock response to all of them was Clint, Clint Capella is playing with two of the best pick and roll ball handlers in the history of basketball. Um, so of course he's going to look really good in the pick and roll. And I think they're going to put him in the pick and roll over and over and over again this series. So that's, that's probably my X factor for Houston. Um, going to the Clippers warriors ones, who would be the X factors for you? I think I would, pr- the warriors ones tough for me. Maybe it's supposed to be easy. I think I would go with Shea Gilgis Alexander for the Clippers just because he shot again. He shot the ball really well since the All Star break. He's shooting sixty seven percent on minimal pull up three point attempts during that time. And if things bog down because the Warriors, they I think they have the personnel to go at Gallo and Lou Williams without sending anybody to help either of them. Just Clay Thompson and Draymond Green, boom, you're done. Or even you know maybe even Kevin Durant on Gallo who has that postseason defense switch too. I I struggle to come up with one for the Warriors. I think is it just Demarcus Cousins. I think for the Clippers, um, well, first to answer, is it just DeMarcus Cousins? Uh, probably. And maybe he's the X factor for them in every series. It'll be really interesting to see how he plays. Um, and the if you just use the rate only catch-all, so shorten everybody by the average of their ranks in real plus minus, player impact plus, player impact plus minus, box plus minus, um, win shares per 48, and game score per 48, Cousins wound up 30th in the NBA. Uh, and a lot of these numbers, what I've, I mean, I knew this coming into this season, but it was sort of crystallized over the course of the year doing this a couple times a week. Those numbers or a couple of those numbers really favor big guys. Mm-hmm. So maybe cousins position is, is artificially inflated a little bit. Um, but I, I think he, there's a, a chance that he really makes an impact in a couple of these series. And then <laughs> I say that thinking that he could make an impact either way. When they first signed uh, Andrew Bogut, I thought, I wonder if he'll be playing <laughs> the bulk of the center minutes by the time we get to the finals. Um, just because he, he just fits what the rest of the guys do, I think, a little bit better than Cousins. But yeah, he's probably the one for the Warriors. For the Clippers, 
I'm I'm going to go with Patrick Beverly just because I it, if they're going to get a game or two, he's going to have to be yeah, really good, good at pestering Stephen Curry, um, and I think I think that's exactly what he's going to try to do the whole time. So he's he's probably the X factor for me on that one. Um, with those two series out of the way, we both had Rockets in six. Um, I'm surprised you didn't go Utah in four, but um, whatever. Um, I'm going to move us to the Thunder and the Blazers. Uh, it's it's crazy that the the Thunder the maybe it's not crazy, but the Thunder the odds on favorite to win this series makes sense because Portland does not have Yusuf Nurkic. I, I almost feel like Portland's not getting enough respect there because Damian Lillard. I had him number five on on my MVP ballot. He's been um, just bonkers this year. Maybe people are just maybe the odds makers are guessing we're going to see too much of of Enos Cantor, which is certainly um, a thing. The other the other thing to look at for me here though is Oklahoma City has not been the least bit consistent on the offensive end this year. Uh, no. George closed the regular season on a bit of a cold streak. Um, the surrounding shooters around him they had this hot stretch in the middle of the season for like a month and a half, but most of them have cooled down. And you cannot trust them any minutes that there won't be many of them because it's the playoffs. But when you have to play Russell Westbrook um, without Paul George. It's it just hasn't proved to be a sustainable model right now. I think the Thunder are like minus seven points per hundred possessions during those stints, or that's where it was the the last time I checked, right around there. I think this series is going to end up being closer than people realize. I do have the Thunder in seven because, uh, particularly against a team that has Stephen Adams, I I I do believe Portland's going to end up missing Yusuf Nurkic a ton. Um, if they end up playing, or if Zach Collins ends up playing really well for them. Uh, perhaps they're fine. I, I think they do have a lot of guys who can be problematic for Oklahoma City. I don't think that the Thunder are necessarily built to defend Seth Curry um, in, in the minutes in the lineups that, that he's going to play. Even Oklahoma City's defense has dropped off. They went from the best defense in the league to basically for half the season finishing right around or just outside the top 10 in points allowed per 100 possessions. This is a super interesting matchup to me. It wouldn't surprise me that if the Blazers won. and And me... Me by saying they're going to lose in seven, it's almost a compliment to Yusuf Nurkic by saying I think he was that important to what they're going to do. And if CJ McCollum is going to be your second best player in a series, I don't know if you're going to end up having enough to to get past an Oklahoma City team that has both Paul George and Russ. I I think you have pretty much encapsulated my thoughts on this <laughs> series. I I picked OKC as well, um, but I am not confident in it really at all i i think damian lillard like you said he's in the top five of your mvp ballot and, and i think it's fair to have him there he's been fantastic this season and now for a couple years in a row so the loss of nurkic is huge and that's what i'm kind of relying on um with this prediction but i there is a lot of worry with the thunder and, the, and all the inconsistencies that people have been talking about i think those are all very very legitimate Concern. So I I also have OKC winning this one. Um, I'm going to say six because I, I think if it gets to a seventh game in Portland, that's a really tough place to win a game seven. Um, so if it, if it gets there, I would probably guess that Portland wins. Um, but I, I say that thinking that it's going to be six really close, really competitive games with the top end talent of uh, – Westbrook and George kind of 
maybe not getting back to what they were, or maybe Paul George not getting back to what he was for the first couple months of the season. But I think he'll rebound a little bit. Um, I mean, if they get if they get second half of the season Russ and first half of the season Paul George, then I think they win comfortably. But if they get something close to that for both guys, I think it's going to be a close series, and I'm I'm going to take OKC in six. Who are your X factors? Ooh. Um, do yours first because I need to think about it for a second. Okay, well, this will tie into it. Can you guess since the All-Star break how many players on the Oklahoma City Thunder are shooting better than or, or shooting even 35% from three? Since the All-Star break? Yeah. I'll say zero. Two. Jeremy <laughs> Grant and Raymond Felton. Okay. How many shots does Raymond Felton take? Taken. I mean, he's playing like 11 minutes a game. He's taking 1.5 threes. Um, okay. During, so uh, 41.7% from him, though, too. Jeremy Grant leads the Thunder in three-point percentage since the All-Star break on five attempts per game at 41.9%. He is my X factor for them. Uh, he, I think he's going to play a big role in whatever they're able to do to slow down uh, Portland's scoring attack between uh, Lillard and McCollum. He's not going to be the primary defender. We're going to see Paul George do more than that, but he can switch – uh, all over the place, and if he's able to kind of um, flitter around, maybe they'll put him on Alfaruk Aminu uh, for Aminu for a lot of minutes, and he'll be able to sort of flitter around in the half court and, and try and force some turnovers. He's a guy I'll probably just be watching for them in general throughout the playoffs, even if they advance. If he he needs to hit, he has been hitting his threes, and if he's going to shoot that well um, from downtown, it helps the Thunder offense a great deal because our guess is going to be that you know what Paul George is going to shoot better than thirty three percent from downtown, like he has been over his past. 20 plus game. So he's huge for Oklahoma city. Um, in Portland, I would go with Aminu as well, just because he, what he does defensively, like I said to you, I consider putting him on one of my two all defense teams. Uh, I don't think that he's going to be able to slow down Paul George, but if, if he can help this slump sort of continue, if that, like th- that puts Portland in a pretty big, position to win and, and even if he really does it but in, even making life I'm stuttering here even making life difficult on Paul George is a big deal just because of the absence of consistency and efficiency around him and so if you even coax Paul Paul George into one or two tough games it really puts the pressure on everyone else in Oklahoma City and and that'll that would be the ultimate test for then the Thunder supporting cast but those might actually might be boring x-factors but that's what I've got for this series I think Jeremy Grant's probably the right call uh, for OKC, but in the interest of being different, I'm going to go. I'm just going to name both of mine for both teams. I'm going to go with Ennis Cantor and Steven Adams. Um, I think that'll be a big matchup. And the reason I'm going with those guys is both influenced by the the absence of Yusuf Nurkic. So can can Steven Adams sort of feast inside with Nurkic gone, and can Ennis Cantor replace at least a little bit of what Nurkic provided. I think Cantor as a scorer, uh, low post threat, offensive rebounder can replicate. And I think maybe in some areas, like he's probably a better offensive rebounder than Nurkic. I think he can replicate a lot of what he does. But the most important things that Nurkic did for Portland, which is his defense and his playmaking, Cantor just doesn't provide those things. He never has. Um, I, it's, I'm not going to say it's too late for him to figure it out, but it's probably too late to figure it out in time for this particular series. So that's that's going to be a really interesting matchup for me is um, what both of those guys do in the absence of Yusuf Nurkic. Do you know what um, 
Portland's, I'm just going to presume it's their starting five. Um, do you know how they've performed with Cantor in the lineup instead I've, of Yusuf? I think it's pretty good, isn't it? It is not. Oh, never mind. <laughs> they have an offensive rating of 102.7. Oh, and, wow. Uh, a defensive rating of 108.3, which isn't terrible, but for a net rating of minus 5.6. They have only wow. played 35 minutes together because of the McCollum injury. Um, he was out when Nurkic first went down. Uh, the numbers aren't uh, aren't great when you look at uh, what the other iteration of it was. Uh, who did they really have in it? I think it was – no, it wasn't Curry. I'm, I'm trying to look at it right now. I can't find it. Oh, here it is. Is the No, that's McCombs in that too. All right, I can't find that lineup. But the Cantor in the starting with the other starters in place of Nurkic has not been good for, for the Blazers so far this season. So, yeah, um, I'm going to say that reinforces my call. <laughs> See if they can be better with Cantor than they were in the regular season. It, because if they're not, I, I think they're in deep trouble. Yep. Which series did you want to go to next? Should we just uh, wrap up the Western Conference? Yeah, what a, what a boring way to, to not jump around, right? <laughs> um, that brings us to the Nuggets and the Spurs. Um I I think a lot of people are thinking that playoff experience is, is going to be an issue for the Nuggets, and I think that's a fair thing to expect. I don't think it catches up to them in this particular series, though. Um, the, the <laughs> San Antonio's roster, I, I think Greg Popovich deserves a lot of credit for getting this team to where it is this season. When I look at that roster, it's it's just not – terribly exciting um they're too <laughs> i know they were they were way better offensively um than i think most people expected them to be this season i still don't trust that model of just tons and tons of mid-range shots from demar Derozan and lamarcus aldridge um they're starting backcourt of Derek white and Bryn forbes i mean Again, I, I think with every single one of these guys they're better than they probably were expected to be um heading into this season but i still in a playoff series just i'm i'm not overwhelmed or inspired by this roster much at all and i think denver clearly has the best player in the series um i I think their talent like one through five i I think they win probably just about every matchup um i'm certainly taking Jokic over aldridge um murray over Bryn forbes gary harris Derek white is actually kind of interesting um but I, I just I think Denver should win this series comfortably, and maybe the lack of playoff experiences catches up to them early. But I think that that maybe pushes us to like a six game series. Uh, maybe I'm being too dismissive of a team that's been so good for so long. But I think um, I think Denver's just comfortably better, and I'm going to go with the Nuggets in five on this one. People will be insufferable if the Nuggets lose. Yeah. Just think think of the stigmas or think of how hard um Nikola Jokic is is judged right now. He will it will be I test Twitter will be out of control. If, That's very true. Yeah. Um here's something that I found interesting. The the Spurs, their defense has been ninth in points allowed per 100 possessions since the All-Star break. Their offense is 11th in points scored per 100 possessions. So their defense has been outperforming their offense. 
I have a little bit more faith in them, and it has nothing to do with Denver's uh, postseason experience or lack thereof. Uh, just give Popovich the chance to go with any team uh, for over the course of seven games. I think he's going to find some stuff to make life difficult. Um, I'm going to go, that being said, I'm going to go Nuggets in six. Um, it's like you said, they just, they're head and shoulders better. Um, they're now really full strength um, for the first time this season. Jokic is clearly the best player in the series. Uh, I don't, trust the Spurs a shot selection on offense even though they're so efficient when they do it but it's going to be a problem if you go up against a team like Denver that's still going to willingly shoot threes uh if, if they get rolling it's going to be hard to make up that talent deficit when you are basically they they rank almost 30th in both three-point attempt rate and shots at the rim uh that's impressively concerning so I have um the Nuggets in six there. My X factors for this series, I think Will Barton is just the X factor for the Nuggets in the playoffs in general. Just he's going to be, if defenses target Jamal Murray, he's going to have to be that second guy who goes and creates off the bounce when Denver needs a bucket that Nikola Jokic's vision and, and his own handles can't necessarily get them. For the Spurs, I think it has to be Derek White, right? Just he's sort of the swing piece for them, the guy who's going to um, pull some pretty tough defensive assignments. Another uh, half-court playmaker and, and someone they can trust to hit threes at a league average rate, albeit not necessarily on crazy volume, though you could say that about most of their team. That's just where I'm at on this series at the moment. I'm going to go with Gary Harris for the Nuggets because I don't think he ever – he never got quite back to the level that he was at last season. And I think if he does find that, um, that raises Denver's ceiling significantly. Last season, he averaged almost 18 points and shot barely under 40%. This season, he averaged about 13 points and shot 34%. Um, he, he dealt with nagging injuries basically the entire season. And so if he's, if he's finally healthy and he has been, he's played every game since February 22nd. So maybe it'll finally click in for him here in the postseason. And if he does that, I think Denver is quite a bit better. Uh, and then for the Spurs, uh, I've thought all year long that this guy should be playing more and it's Davis Bertans. And I think he uh, alleviates a lot of my concerns about San Antonio's reliance on the mid range. Um, cause he's one of the best three point shooters in the league. He takes a pretty good volume of them. Um, his three point attempt rate is it's looks like it's about 75. Um, yeah, almost 75% of his attempts this year were threes. So he's a guy I think who really, really helps their spacing. And if he has a couple games where he gets hot, hits three or four threes, kind of takes over the game for a couple minute stretch here and there. I think, uh, that'll make San Antonio a little bit more interesting to me. Before we head over to the Eastern Conference, we do have to pay some bills, and we are going to do that with... Hey, we remembered the ad. Yeah. Uh, shout out <laughs> to Ethos Life Insurance. Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At getethos.com, there are no medical exams for policies covering under $1 million, no hours of paperwork, no meetings with pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than it costs to purchase a cup of coffee per day with no hidden fees. 
Having life insurance can free you from stress. Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your application in minutes. Just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S. Getethos.com. One more time, getethos.com. Onward. Well done. To Thank you. Onward. That's the first live read. We've had to record them for like... Uh, ever <laughs> since we're not good at remembering to do them, but I I remember this time, so here we are. Um, in the East, I'm just gonna start with. I think there are two series that I, I'm just I, you can't talk me into anything crazy happening in, in them to start off, and I'll, I'll go with just the Milwaukee Detroit series. I'm very interested to see. We haven't heard a lot on Malcolm Brogdon's timetable, and as we move deeper into the playoffs, if you're talking about the Eastern Conference Finals and the NBA Finals, his absence could loom large. Um, but the Bucks against the Pistons, particularly with Blake Griffin battling uh, his knee yeah. injury, uh, pretty much when you look at just the uh, inconsistency of everyone aside from Blake Griffin and now Andre Drummond, uh, that makes it really tough for Detroit to make a dent in this series uh, looking at Milwaukee's supporting cast, even though they're banged up with Nikola Mirotic banged up. Everyone just under the sun of Milwaukee seems to be banged up right now. I have Bucks in four. That is, I think that might be the lone sweep that I predicted, and I just you I I don't you can't talk me out of it right now for some reason. Just with having Giannis, um, looking at the defense Eric Bledsoe has played this season, knowing where uh, how well Chris Middleton has played on offense. I, again, maybe if if this is a situation where Tony Snell is even going to miss some time, and uh, maybe you start to really miss some of some of these guards that are out in, in Brogdon and, and Divincenzo, this isn't the series that. Uh, that'll end up happening for me. I think it's just clearly the Bucks are going to dominate from start to finish. And even if Blake Griffin plays, I'm, I'm assuming he will since Dwayne Casey said he's just at a point where his knee can't get worse. What is he even going to look like? He's been slumping for the, the past month plus two. My X factors, though, in this series would be uh, for the Pistons, I'll say Luke Kennard. He's just done more stuff off the dribble dribble for them lately. Maybe he's too high profile for you, but especially if Griffin's going to struggle, <laughs> they're going to need that other guy in the half court um, who can just knock down shots from three, obviously, but also just do some stuff with the ball in his hands. Maybe that's Reggie Jackson, but if Luke Kennard can be that player, if he can be the player that he's been for, I would say, the latter quarter of the season, um, D- Detroit is in... I'm not even going to say fairly good shape. That at least makes the series a little bit more interesting. I have a hard time picking one for the Bucks just because I I have no idea what their rotation is going to look like. Part of me just wants to go with George Hill because if if you're already missing DiVincenzo, if, if Brogdon's not going to return for this series or until the middle of this series, uh, he becomes hyper-important um, to, to their guard rotation. And he's, he's similar in theory to what Brogdon can do. He's just not... I mean, his his time in Milwaukee has just not been punctuated by by many feel good feel good stories. I could also probably be talked into Brook Lopez for them as well. So I've been thinking for a while um, if if George Hill can ever find twenty sixteen seventeen George Hill that that makes Milwaukee. I mean, Milwaukee's already fantastic, and I I think they're going to sweep this series too. But uh, Finding that version of George Hill helps them. I just said basically the same thing with Gary Harris. Um, him finding his last season self takes Denver to a new level. I think the same thing of George Hill uh, in Milwaukee. They that season series, Milwaukee went four and zero with a plus fifteen net rating. Um, 
Giannis didn't even have to play 20 minutes a game or not 20 didn't even have to play 30 minutes a game against them. And he still averaged 21, nine and seven um, plus 16.2 point differential per game just for Giannis individually. I, I think they're going to roll in this series. I, I'm going to go with George Hill on the X factor, just like you did um, for the reasons I already mentioned for Detroit. Um, like you said, Blake Griffin being hampered is huge for them. Um, if, if we were to go through every team and say name the team MVPs, he would be about as big a no-brainer. Um, and Andre Drummond's been great, so I don't want to undersell him. But Blake Griffin has been critical to what the Pistons have done and in getting into the playoffs this season. So if he's hurt, that hurts. Um, my X factor for them, I'm going to go with Thon Maker. Um, with Griffin, with Griffin hampered, maybe he has to step up a little bit. And then there's the sort Tom of career revenge series. Yeah, revenge series. Um, Blake Griffin's hurt, and there's the career narrative about him in the playoffs. His his career regular season box plus minus is minus one point seven, and his career playoff box plus minus is plus two point eight. Um, and he's only played 246 minutes in the playoffs, but it seems like every year he has a moment in the playoffs. He'll hit a couple threes. Um, he'll, he'll block a couple shots. Is there any way that he can sway maybe one game and stretch this series out to five? Um, that, that, that's as far as I can go for the Pistons. I don't, I, again, I think this is going to be a sweep, uh, and it would be pretty hard to convince myself that Detroit can snag one game. Just to get a sense of how important Griffin is to the Pistons. It's been, Andre Drummond has a crazy net rating swing for, uh, ever since he returned from, I think it was a three-game absence when he had a concussion. But Griffin, this season, ran almost as many pick-and-rolls as Kevin Durant, averaged more Jeez. points than Kyrie Irving, averaged more assists than Stephen Curry, and made more pull-up three-pointers than Bradley Beal. That's ridiculous. That's bonkers. <laughs> yeah, that so sweep. <laughs> sweep in favor of the Bucks. Where are we going next, Andy? Um, Let's go 4-5 in the East. Um. Boston Celtics versus Indiana Pacers. Um, this is a series that I could see being close. Um, I, I could see it getting to like six or seven games. I could see all kinds of chemistry issues creeping up for Boston again. Um, I could see a monster offensive performance from Bojan Bogdanovic and, and Sabonis will be great off the bench. Having said all that, um, I, I do think that talent disparity here with Victor Oladipo out is it's going to end up being too much for Indiana to overcome. Um, I'm going to say I'm, I'm going to I'm feeling bold. I'm going to say Boston in five because I even last night I was telling somebody on a radio spot that I thought this could be a really competitive long series. But I'm the more I look at it, the more I think that we might look at this series and think, well, Boston's kind of getting back on track here. I'm going to go Boston in five. My X factors. Um, it's kind of crazy to call him this because he makes an awful lot of money, but I'm going to go with Gordon Hayward for the Boston Celtics. It seems like he's kind of rounding into form over the last month or so. Um, and again, this is the third guy I've used this with now, but if he's, if he's closer to his old self, then Boston is a much, much different team. And then for Indiana, I'm going to go with uh, Tyreek Evans. I don't even know how much he's going to play, but he was just awful for them this season, right after he had the best year of his career in Memphis. Um, 
And and one thing I thought when Victor Oladipo went down, I thought if they're going to have any chance of sort of maintaining where they're at, he's going to have to get back to the way he was in Memphis, and that never happened. And they still sort of did a good job of treading water. Uh, and they're gonna they're gonna have to be better than treading water to beat the Boston Celtics. So I think Tyreek Evans is gonna have to be pretty good for Indiana to make a, a real competitive series out of this. I'm with pretty much everything you just said, except the X factors. I disagree on basically all counts, but um, <laughs> the, the Pacers' defense has not been great since the All Star break, 18th in points allowed per 100 possessions, and that's supposed to just be their identity without Victor Oladipo because they don't have the half court. Uh, shot creation, which I think is why Tyreek Evans is actually a fair X-Factor to pick for them. That being said, I do not trust the Boston Celtics at all. 12-12 and since the All-Star break. They don't rank in the top 15th of offensive rating or defensive rating during that time, which neither do the Pacers, but these are supposed to be the the Celtics. Um, So if they lose game one, I'm immediately flipping this pick to the Pacers. If if Indiana wins game one, they, they will win the series. That's how little faith I have in Boston. But again, the talent disparity is there. Uh, I don't know what the Pacers are going to be able to do offensively. Um, my, my X factors here, uh, which ties into me saying that, Thaddeus Young uh, for the Pacers, he has to chase around Al Horford because Indiana is going to want to leave Miles Turner to police uh, the rim and just the paint in general and Al Horford just moves around a ton and that's not a matchup that's going to suit Miles Turner and in the possessions that Young has defended Horford this year it has not ended well uh, for for the Pacers for Boston interestingly enough I think if you looked at the big picture I guess it's Gordon Hayward as the x-factor he's just that swing piece if he plays you know can he log now 30 minutes all of a sudden per game is he still going to hover in that 20 something range He's been playing playing well of late. I'm going to pick Jalen Brown, though. You lost um, Marcus Smart um, for at least the first two rounds, and so now you're looking at how imperative uh, his defensive stance has become. And specifically in this series, he's now the one who is going to end up on Boyan Bogdanovich. I'm assuming that he starts and then that he's the body they're going to place on him. And Bogdanovich has been one of this season's most pleasant uh, offensive standouts. And he's also shooting 86% when, defending by, when defended by Jalen Brown. This season, so the, not only do the does Boston need a clear cut, consistent offensive pecking order behind Kyrie Irving at this point, and I think Horford's given them that guy that you can rely on in the number two spot as not necessarily a scorer but facilitator. Brown's going to be a part of them finding that continuity, but now he's all of a sudden just huge to what they're going to do defensively. I'm going to pick Boston in six, if only because I have so much respect for the Pacers' grit. Uh, but again, if, if they win game one, I'm immediately flipping. I won't wait. I'll immediately flip this pick in favor of the Pacers. I do not blame you. Um, the, Boston has certainly um, shown signs of being a powder keg for a, a large portion of this season. Um, I'm going to take us to Orlando and Toronto. Ooh. This is not – I don't know if it's going to be a sweep because Orlando is uh, fairly scrappy. They have – they've had the league's uh, – one of the league's two best defenses for more than half the season, which is just credit to Steve Clifford because who's I'm going to ask you this right now. Who's Orlando's best defender? Um, Vooch. <laughs> he averaged a block and a steal per game. I, I don't know. Gordon's pretty, he's more versatile than Vucevic. I, um, like you said, shout out to Steve Clifford. He's like the franchise uh, turnaround guy. He did the same thing with the Hornets a few years ago. Took a, took a center that, Nobody thought could defend in Al Jefferson, and he he 
piece together a really solid team defense. And he's done the same thing with Vucevic and the Magic. Yeah, I, I might be inclined to say that it's Jonathan Isaac defensively, but the fact that I don't... Uh, yeah, that's probably a good call. I don't... Actually, the fact that it's not an obvious answer and they've been... Uh, since the All-Star break, they've been fourth in defensive efficiency. And that's actually a drop from where they were. Uh, hats off to Steve Clifford, as we were saying. This is the other series that I don't think is going to be, you know anything really to not watch, but I can't pick, I can't envision a scenario in which the magic push this series to six games. I just don't, you know, maybe uh, Toronto goes through some ruts offensively. Uh, their defense has been in, uh, absurd since the all-star break as well, but you know, they are working in Marcus all. It does look better with him in the starting lineup. At the same time, we've seen points where Leonard's exists so far outside what they're doing and yet it's always worked. It's always been like, can the Raptors give us more? It's never just not worked. And so I don't, I can't mm-hmm. pick against them now. Uh, it, they are, I've said this how many times, so I won't get into it. I think they're going to be the team that just peaks in the postseason. When you look at the injuries they've dealt with in the second unit, the turnover that they've gone through, um, the learning curves that they've had with Leonard and then now Gasol, they're, I, I think they're only going to get better as they continue to figure it out. X factors for this series, I'm going back and forth. Um, for Orlando, I really want to pick Jonathan Isaac because if he's a nuisance defensively and if he's going to shoot um, 38.2% from three on almost five attempts per game, that's kind of huge. He's done a little off the dribble stuff for the Magic and they need someone else to pick up the offensive slack. They do, when Vooch leaves the floor, they're just, they're dead in the water. And that includes when DJ Augustine's on the court without him. Is Isaac that guy more so than Gordon now who, who might be able to get you some um, from scratch buckets with all that in mind I go with Terrence Ross because he is the guy that can do that for them uh, he's been lights out for them lately has come up huge um, he's shooting almost 39 percent from three since the all-star break on nearly nine attempts per game and so if they're going if he's going to help them space the floor to that degree and you're going to get you know a league average or better clip from two of I'll say Gordon Vooch uh, Isaac, Fournier, and Augustine, your offense is all of a sudden in a lot better shape. Is it weird that I'm having a tough time picking one for the Raptors? All of their options seem way too high profile. Yeah. it's I, I almost want to pick OG Ananobi um, because it, there are going to be points in the playoffs, and maybe even in this series, where I think that Toronto's really going to try and mismatch teams off the floor, or um, they're going to need to play this is, in other words, play Siakam at the five more than they did during the regular season. And if you do that, he Ananobi's one of the players that um, could most often be in those lineups, maybe be Fred Van Vliet too, uh, that, that he's the one who can help them really hum. It ultimately might not matter who that fifth is, and I'm just assuming that it's Green, Leonard, Lowry, Siakam, and then they'll plug and play guys from there. Uh, I'm just almost inclined to go to Ananobi. And it's, again, it's just really hard to pick for me because it seems like everyone on the Raptors is so good that they're too high profile to be that X factor. Yeah, I kind of had the same thing, um, the same internal struggle with the Raptors. I wound up picking Marc Gasol as my X factor uh, because, yes, it's a high profile name. um, But like you just said, their main guys are Kawhi, Lowry and Siakam. So I think when once we get to a guy who's at best number four on the team, I think I'm, I feel okay picking him. Um, this season, when Gasol and Kawhi are on the floor together, they they got up to 790 possessions in in the short time that Gasol was there, plus 18.7 points per hundred possession, 99th percentile 
according to cleaning the glass. And I think I think Gasol is doing a lot of the things that we kind of expected him to do for the the Raptors when they traded for him. Um, he gives them a little bit of playmaking from the high post. He's averaging almost six assists per 36 minutes as a member of the Raptors, almost 10 rebounds. Um, he's shooting 44% from three as a Raptor. They don't need him to be the number two or sometimes number one that he was in Memphis. Mark Gasol in this particular role is very, very dangerous. <laughs> in my opinion, when, when he doesn't, when he's not called upon to be like the big scorer and he can just focus on the other things that he does really well. Um, he, he looks like he fits very, very well on this team. So he's my X factor for them. And basically it's just, can he continue to do what he did in the regular season? And if he can, Toronto's really, really tough. I think Toronto's going to win this series um, fairly easily. I'm going to say in five though, because I do think Orlando has been really, really good for most of the season, but especially the second half. And I, I think Vucevic, <clears throat> I named him my fourth team uh, All-NBA center on my non-existent uh, <laughs> All-NBA fourth team. I think he's been ridiculous this season. In just over 30 minutes a game, he's averaging 21 points, 12 rebounds, four assists, one steal, one block. Just uh, incredibly productive. I, I picked the same X-Factor for Orlando as you did. Um, and when they when they've got some shooters locked in around Vucevic. So Terrence Ross, DJ Augustine can get going a little bit as a shooter. Um, if Aaron Gordon can shoot a little bit better than he did in the regular season, he shot just under 35%. So that's manageable, but they're going to need him to, to get hot, to, to make any kind of a noise in this series. And I think they will for one game. <laughs> um, I, I think Orlando is a great story. In fact, I feel like we should, probably should be hearing more about them. They they had a, such a long playoff drought, and they deserve a lot of credit for turning it around. Um, it, it's now a very real question mark whether or not they should blow it up this summer. Um, so I, I think they, they do make it interesting in the sense that it gets to five. But I think Toronto is <laughs> Toronto is stacked when they're at full strength and fully healthy. So I think they're going to win in five. Yeah, if I don't know if I said I picked Toronto five, but that was my selection. The one thing with Gasol, I am I am just a little concerned with how he matches up with Vooch. I think that's a tough cover for him. Um, in the two games that he played with the Raptors and, and covered Vooch, uh, uh, Toronto was giving up one point uh, one five points per possession um, on plays wow. in, in which uh, Gasol was defending Vooch. That's just a matchup to watch. But again, the Raptors have the personnel to try and just flip that if it doesn't work out if Gasol and I, I don't think you could say he'd be unplayable in that scenario when he's on the court the Raptors offensive rating is better than what they were giving up in those situations mm-hmm. but they just have the personnel to sort of navigate it and also shout out to Timothy Mozgov who hasn't played this season but he's back in the playoffs before the Lakers shout out to <laughs> incredible we have one series left can you that, start us off yeah that brings us to the 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets the 3-6 matchup in the Eastern conference. Um, I just pulled this up as right as we were finishing up that last series. Um, Philadelphia is actually a minus 2.6 per hundred possessions against Brooklyn this season. The season series was split two to two. Um, so I, I think Brooklyn is maybe being a little bit undersold coming into this series, but I do think Philadelphia probably wins fairly comfortably. Um, endorsement. <laughs> Here, here's my thing on Philadelphia. 
I, I think there are real concerns about their depth. I think they lost a lot of depth with those two trades that they made this season. Covington and Sarich have been great for them for the last couple of years, and they're obviously not there thanks to the Jimmy Butler trade. And then they gave up a lot to get Tobias Harris, too. Um, and so now they have this really stacked starting five with Simmons, Reddick, Butler, Harris, and Embiid. And, and that group together, um, maybe you can pull this up as I'm rambling, but um, I think that starting lineup has been fantastic. And they have very real concerns on the bench. I don't think that's going to be a problem for them, at least in the first round, because you can shorten your rotation in the postseason. And the top-end talent on this team, I, I don't know if I'd quite go there, but I, I think this starting five is close to being able to go toe to toe with either the starting five of the Raptors or the Bucks. Like I, I just think they are loaded one through five. And again, it falls off a little bit um, when you get to the bench, but they're the top end of their roster is very, very good. And I, I pulled it up as I was talking um, <laughs> when, when Simmons, Reddick, Butler, Harris, and Embiid are on the floor, uh, 353 possessions. Phillies plus 22.4 points per 100 possessions, 99th percentile with those five. Um, so as long as they've got the starters out there, they're in great shape. So for an X factor for Philly, I feel like I just got to grab somebody <laughs> from their bench. If they can get one guy from the bench to provide a little bit more than than expected, I think that'll really help them. Maybe it's Mike Scott. Um Maybe TJ McConnell has had some moments for them, uh, even in the playoffs. So maybe he's an interesting one. Maybe Boban will give us some fun minutes at some point in this series. Um, I'm, I'm going to cheat and just say anyone from from Philly's bench. Uh, for Brooklyn, this another team that's a great story, like Orlando. Um, they've been out of the playoffs for a little bit, although not as long as some people think, um, I'm pretty sure. But for them to go from where they were when they hired Sean Marks to be back in the playoffs right now and to have some really legitimate young guys that they can build around going forward, um, that they are absolutely headed in the right direction. And I don't think uh, getting squashed in the first round should change anybody's opinion of that. Um, I, I'm going to go with Philly in five on this one. And my X factor, I just realized I didn't say that for uh, Brooklyn. Um I'm going to let you talk about the series and think a little bit more about that. There, Brooklyn is not – in terms of the underdog matchups they could have faced, if I'm Philadelphia, I would have rather seen Detroit or Orlando, bar none. Yeah. I would have rather seen Charlotte too. Uh, I, if I'm the Nets, this is going to – I mean, first of all, poor D'Angelo Russell, who's just going to have to face Ben Simmons or Jimmy Butler, probably Jimmy Butler. Um, but like, like there are going to be possessions where – I mean, for let's say – of all, let's say D'Angelo Russell plays 35 minutes a game in the playoffs. I'm very interested to see what Kenny Atkinson's playoff rotations looks like because he does not play guys heavy minutes. I think D'Angelo Russell is the first player of the Kenny Atkinson era to average over 30 minutes a game for the season. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm actually checking that right now as I speak. So I'm very just interested to see how, how that gets run. Um, and it's it's Russell and Joe Harris who are, are the first players to do that. They both average, they both average over 30 this game. Um, but... So let's say he plays 35. 30 of those minutes could be are probably going to be spent going up against Jimmy Butler and Ben Simmons combined. That's just that's rough. That's tough. That's rough. Mind. That's yeah. rough. Um still the Nets, I think they realize they have these talent deficits just because their their top end talent does not match up with Phillies. Um they are deeper. I'm 
I'm ready for them to – it wouldn't surprise me if they just leaned into – and this isn't to diminish what maybe Jared, Jared Allen could do against Joel Embiid. It wouldn't surprise me for them to really just try and make Embiid super uncomfortable and play Jared Dudley at the five for protracted stretches. And that might be – that's something that scares me. I'm not saying they'll go to it a ton. Uh, Jared Dudley has logged under 100 possessions at center this season. That's not something that um, the Nets have traditionally – just rolled with, uh, but I would go extreme. I would play Dudley there. Um, I, you know what? I'd play Travion Graham or Damari Carroll there too. I just really see if you can light the Sixers up and, and use their size against them. That being said, the top end talent matters when you can shrink the rotation. And so I would think that Philly is going to win this series. I am, however, going to pick uh, the Sixers in six, just because I don't think that Brooklyn is the best matchup uh, for them. Uh, X factors here are tough. Uh, I think Jared Allen is probably too high profile for Brooklyn, but when you look at the Embiid matchup um, in the front court, that is one to keep an eye on. I'm kind of just going to say Karis LeVert because I'm kind of just going to say, I'm actually going to say <laughs> Karis LeVert. He missed a bunch of time. He was the Nets' best player before his injury. He's starting mm-hmm. to sort of regain his form now. And if D'Angelo Russell has a problem against the, the defensive personnel that Philly's going to assign to him, and I think it's fair to say that he will, uh, they're going to need someone else to create for them in the half court. And that's going to be, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie is an easy choice too, but he's been, has not been great over the latter half of the season. And, and so Karis LeVert becomes huge there. Philly, here's my X factor. I feel like you're going to laugh at me. It's Brett Brown. I think yeah. some of the lineups he runs are just outside of his main one are just bizarre. There needs to be more shooting around Ben Simmons in the minutes that he plays um, without Joel Embiid. And I know that those minutes aren't going to be, they're going to be fewer and f- further between now that we're in the playoffs. But l- let's see some more of the, you know, when, when Ben Simmons is playing, uh, well, that was, that, that's annoying. When Ben Simmons is playing without Embiid, uh, let's see more of these inverted pick and rolls where Ben Simmons is, they're not inverted. Use Ben Simmons as the roller more. He hasn't done that enough this season. Uh, Tobias Harris has been really good out of the pick and roll for Philly, which has helped offen, uh, offset the shooting rut that he's in. Uh, lean into that. Like, run some Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons pick and rolls without Joel Embiid on the floor. Then, you know, Butler Simmons pick and rolls. Everyone's talked about that already. So, uh, with all those things, the bare minimum, there just needs to be maximum shooting around Ben Simmons when Embiid is, is off the floor. If that involves just inserting Ennis for Embiid and then rolling with the starters from there and, and Ben Simmons is your de facto center, that's not, that's not a bad way to go either. So, he, I think Brett Brown... He's not. I don't think he can lose this series for the Sixers, but he's definitely going to determine to me how close it ultimately is. Thank you for not laughing at me. I was going to say, I don't think there's anything wrong with that call. And Karis LeVert is probably the right call um, for Brooklyn as well. It, I, I'm interested to see. I don't even know how much they'll try this in the playoffs. And this is... Uh, so I'll just agree with you that Karis LeVert is the X factor. But I'm, I'm also interested to see how Russell and Dinwiddie look if they play together at all. Um, Cause I still think going forward, if you're going to commit a lot of money to Russell, it would help if you could play those two guys together. And by the end of the season, uh, their net rating with those two on the floor was still minus 1.6, which was 44th percentile according to cleaning the glass. So if they can, if they can figure out some sort of um, synergy with those two on the floor, that would, Certainly help, but I again, I'm probably going to agree with you. Not probably, I am going to agree with you and say that Karis Levert's the uh, X factor there. But I am taking Philly in five, uh, and with that, we have wrapped up. We we did every single 
playoff series. So shout out to us and shout out to you for listening. Do you have anything you want to add before I launch into this close, Dan? Uh, the only thing on the series we just talked about with Brooklyn and Philly, the other extreme I would love to see, it has not been good in the time that it's played. If you try and lean into just having a bunch of playmakers and attacking Philly's size, Russell Dinwiddie and Levert on the court at the same time might be something interesting worth exploring. They have been destroyed. I want to make that clear when they've played together this season. 256 possessions, net rating of minus 16, uh, offensive rating of 110. It's just something I, I really think that Brooklyn might uh, get into the mismatch game against Philly and, and try and exploit that. So I'm, this is probably the first-round series I'm most excited to watch. I'm not even kidding you. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, if you want to See, hit us up. and out during this podcast for both of us. <laughs> um, if you want to talk to any of us or talk to either of us about any of these takes, you can find Dan on Twitter at Dan Favelli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. Um, again, follow at Blue Wire Pods. Uh, we're about to launch a new podcast called Blue Wire Buckets that Dan and I will occasionally rotate through as the hosts. And those are the episodes, obviously, that you're going to want to listen to. Um, the rest of them as well. Just kidding. Um, as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you've already done that, share it with your friends and family. And until next time, we'll leave you with the shout out to Ben Oudry and Kyle Anderson. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.